Welcome to The Porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, by examining the Word of God, and especially the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. The Porch Online Bible Study takes a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God. Our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence of the early church. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The church age is not over, and what took place in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that there is more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, with Jesus, and you want more, then you're welcome to join us on this journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch, one word, lowercase, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support us, there are ways to do that, and I've been told that PayPal has been um, problematic. So we're looking at some other things. You can use Venmo. You can use Cash App. If you need that information, reach out to us. But if you'd like to support us, and we appreciate everyone that does, um, just pray and give as the Lord leads. And welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others in the porch community, just reach out to us. And we will plug you into the system. Remember, we care about you. And if you ask for prayer and you ask to be put on the list, you are being prayed for. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen, as well as on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A new testimony went up for Porchlight, went up Sunday night. Greg Messina, our cameraman, member of SRT, has an interesting story about being adopted and then being adopted into the kingdom of God and everything that went on along the way. It's a very personal, transparent time of talking with Greg. Make sure you subscribe to the Firefall Network on YouTube to know when new videos go up, and the audio of that testimony was posted as well. We start out with praise reports and prayer requests. I just praise the Lord for my salvation. I praise him that I'm here with you, speaking the word, learning the word along with you, even after 34-plus years. It never ends. Until he takes us home, we're always learning. We're always feeding. We're always growing. Praise him for my wife, my sons, daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids. Everything I have comes from the Lord. And I don't say that religiously or, you know, in any, it's the truth. Without him, I have nothing and I am nothing. I praise him for uh, all the dreams and the visions and all the things he has shown to me and all the people I've been able to minister to and be a part of their testimony and part of their miracles. And I pray that that continues. I pray for each and every one of you that you can have the walk that you desire, that you can walk as close to him as you want, and that he is waiting for that. I pray for divine health and healing as we get back to our divine design. I work on it every day. I pray about it every day. I want to be ready for the call. When he says go, I don't want there to be any hindrances, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and definitely not financially. So if you'd like to pray in that regard, let's make 2023 the year that we take the fight to the enemy, set the captives free, live out Luke 4.18, and shake the world one last time before the return of the king. So, Father, we come to you now in the name of Yeshua, King of kings, Lord of lords. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending him to die for us so that we could be in right relationship with you. We thank you, Yeshua, Lord Adonai, 
Sometimes it even feels funny calling you by your first name. I know you said it's okay, but my love and my worship for you has grown so much over these years. I just want to call you Lord. And I look forward to the day that I can hug your neck and you hug mine. But until then, I want to serve you. I'm asking you to heal my brothers and sisters. I'm asking you to touch their hearts, their minds, their souls, and their spirits. I'm asking you to meet them at their needs. We thank you for doing that. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the cross, the empty tomb, the upper room, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for sending him back, the Ruach HaKodesh, to walk with us and teach us and encourage us and to share with us. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want tonight. Take this word and expound upon it. Drive it deep into the minds and the hearts of the listeners. If you want to stop and do whatever it is you want to do, it's your time. Have your way. Bless and protect us. Bless and protect the technology. We pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about answering the call. We're picking up off of last week. Hopefully this closes out tonight and I get through all of my notes. Your Bible should be open. And remember, if you don't have a physical Bible, get one. If you cannot afford one, let us know. But don't rely upon technology for you to get into the Word. Last week we used the scripture from Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You are the called. You are called according to his purpose. So the key is, what is his purpose for you? What does the Spirit want you to do? Well, ask him and he'll show you. He's the Spirit of truth. He'll tell you the truth. I've always said usually it has something to do with where you've come from, when you were first in darkness, before you got saved, an area of uh, your testimony, or an area of compassion in your heart, or all of the above. That's what it has become for me over the years. The Dictionary of Bible Themes calls calling God's summoning of individuals and people to himself so that they will belong to him and serve him in his world. The calling of a believer may involve a specific place, task, or vocation in life. Greek word for calling is klesis. It is the origin, the nature, the destiny of which, all of which are heavenly. It's God's invitation first to accept the benefits of salvation and then to serve him once saved, Romans eleven twenty nine. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given. He does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. Now, of course, we know from uh, biblical heroes we can short-circuit the call we can mess up the call, but we cannot stop it. You can even try to ignore it like Moses did or Jonah did, and he will pursue you. Now remember, you're not in this alone. Ephesians 4.4 4 says, There is one body 
and one spirit, just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling you have received. And what's interesting is there are seven ones in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. One body, which is us, the church. One spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. One hope, which is the calling of a believer. One Lord, who's Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. One faith, that's the gospel doctrine of faith. And one baptism, it's a baptism into the body of Messiah. And that's what unifies us. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So the other purpose of baptism is to become unified into the body with, with the rest of your brothers and sisters and Messiah. And the seventh one is one God, Abba, the Father of all. So we have one hope of our calling, which is first the call to salvation. Are you saved? Are you born again? If you're not, we have to start there. And then the calling to serve God. Holman Bible Dictionary says the New Testament uses the concept of call in relation to one station in life and a calling to service in the body, service in the kingdom. Yeshua and the apostles appeared to distinguish between two types of call, an external gospel call and an inner call of the Spirit. Colossians 2.12, We're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. We talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm going to tell you a little story about him tonight. And I think I may have read this quote, but I'm going to read it again. When Messiah, he said Christ, but I'll say Messiah. When Messiah calls a man or woman, he bids he or she to come and die. You have to let go of the past and press on to the future. You got to let go of the old life. You got to let go of the old beliefs. You got to let go of the old ideas. You have to turn and go the other way. Now, most people associate the word calling with invitation. The Apostle Paul says that he was called of God to be an apostle. Romans 1 1. Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, same thing. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus, the Messiah, through the will of God. What's interesting about Paul, he wasn't there with the original disciples. He didn't walk with the Lord. His calling came later on, and he was called as Saul, who was killing the Christians, kicking down doors, destroying home fellowships. He held the clothes of the people that stoned Stephen to death, and yet he had a calling on his life, one in which the Lord had to knock him off his high horse to get his attention, literally. In regard to the salvation of individuals, the word call is used in two distinct ways. You look at the parable of the marriage feast, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. The Lord says, many are called, but few are chosen. Now, the scripture is used out of context all the time. Remember weeks ago, maybe months ago, we talked about context and content must go together. Well, here the Lord indicates that the gospel call is intended to go out far and wide, that's in the parable, calling men and women everywhere to repent of sin, to trust in Messiah for salvation, and come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But as we know from that parable and others, 
Not everyone's going to heed that call. They're not going to listen to the external gospel call. Sadly, I've had a number of people reject the call for whatever reason. They think everybody's going to heaven or maybe they were sprinkled or dunked or slapped as a child or a baby. Whatever it is, you must be born again. You must, from your mouth, confess, believe in your heart that Yeshua is Lord, that he died for your sins, and accept him and make him Lord of your life. Now, the Bible attributes the conversion of a sinner, the actual conversion itself, we all know the feeling, to the internal call that's affected by God. I quoted the scripture before, starting with Romans 8, 28, but I'm going to put in, uh, the verses all together. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, capital H, might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these who he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We'll explain that later. Remember that part about being glorified. Now, Paul's saying that this kind of a call is issued to everyone God has predestined to salvation. This isn't predestination. What this is, he knows who's going to accept the invitation, and yet he invites everybody anyway. We see in Joel 2.32, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, Jerusalem there will shall be deliverance, as the Lord has says, said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Peter quotes that section on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, and he tells the people listening, For the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So the first call you have to answer is salvation. The second call you answer is the service in the kingdom. Yeshua spoke of the same thing under the concept of God's drawing power. John 6, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. Then, I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. That's good stuff. If you answer the call, it's a good call to answer because you get raised up at the last day. This call is about his loving and eternal purpose of the Father with the goal of people responding to his grace. But in the context of a call to service, you don't have to answer it. You really don't. You can choose not to. But what if Philip didn't answer the call to go to the Ethiopian eunuch? See, that's the thing you have to think about. You can always say no. But what is the ripple effect of saying no? Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he, being Philip, arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. 
So you have the angel gives him the order to go, but then you have the Holy Spirit gives him the direction on what to do. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Yeshua to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus the Messiah is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip had been translated or was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip didn't get to stay there and hug the man or celebrate. Nope, he got translated. As they're coming up out of the water, the Spirit snatches him away. See what we see here in the elements of a calling, Philip's calling, the eunuch's calling to salvation are the elements of God's providence and intervention into the story of this Ethiopian eunuch. And we see three things working together. The work, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's leading, and a human evangelist. See, for a person to accept the truth, for a person to accept the call, he must first hear the truth preached. Romans 10, starting verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of great things. That's the call of a preacher, to preach the gospel, to get people saved, healed, and delivered, to call them into the kingdom. None of this other stuff that goes on in the, in the pulpits, in the stages, and under the lights. We have lost our way, and it's why the church has become ineffective. But in this final day, and I am prophesying right now, and I'm going to put this on video for everyone to hear that's in ministry. If you have not heeded the call to take your name off of your ministry, if you have not heeded the call to change the way you do things, your business is about to be shut down. Your signs are about to be torn down, and you are about to be put out of business because the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord if we're going to do what he called us to do and get people saved. Because it's the Father's desire that the truth be preached everywhere. Acts one eight, one of the last things he told the disciples, and therefore his church. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, the Lord says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Great Commission was to go 
Go make disciples of all men. Explosive Holy Spirit power to share the good news. The Spirit of the Lord had been preparing the eunuch's heart to receive the gospel. As he was reading Isaiah and begun to question in his mind, the Lord brought Philip across his path. That's just how he does things. We see that in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He sends the, the, the disciples away to go get some food. He knew she was coming. And he says to her in verse 34, My food Praise you, Lord. Oh, I just pray right now for every woman at the well, every woman that's been hurt, every woman that's been judged, every woman that's been verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally, even sexually abused because of their choices and their failures, and this woman made them. But when she found you, Lord, you met her at her need. You met her carrying her burden. And you loved her and you set her free. The disciples didn't understand that. Because they came back and he's talking about his food. Of course, he's talking about the spiritual food. He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. He's talking about the prophets. I may preach the gospel. I may share the word. I may minister to somebody. I may speak word to them that plants the seed. The Spirit waters it. Somebody else harvests it when it becomes ripe for the kingdom. So the field was ripe for the harvest, and Philip was God's laborer in the field at that moment. That's no coincidence. It was God's plan from the beginning, and Philip was obedient to that plan. He answered the call. By the way, tradition says that the eunuch carried the gospel back home to Ethiopia and founded the church there, according to Irenaeus, second-century writer. The eunuch returned to his country, shared the gospel, and by the fourth century, Christianity was the country's official religion. What What if Philip had not done what he was told? Look at the heroes of faith. What if Noah didn't answer the call to build the ark? Oh boy, we would have had a different outcome. What if Abraham didn't answer the call to leave his father's land and go to a place he did not know? What if Moses didn't answer the call to confront Pharaoh? Tremendously different outcomes in the history of Israel and, of course, the history of the church. What if Gideon didn't answer the call to deliver God's children from the Midianites? See, he was hesitant. He didn't want to go. So he asked for divine proof that it was God's calling to go do this. He was unsure of himself. He didn't believe he could do it. By the way, God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares those he calls. So God exhorts Gideon to save Israel from the Midianites, and Gideon immediately reminds gods of his inadequacies, kind of like Moses did. I stutter. Okay, I'll send your brother with you. But in this case, Gideon says, I'm, I'm nobody. So I, I need a sign that this is you. 
So Gideon prepares an offering, and the angel of the Lord, who has brought this message to him, touches it with the end of his staff. Fire comes out of the rock and consumes the offering. This is in Judges 6. And at that moment, the angel disappeared. He didn't need to be there anymore. The sign was delivered. The calling was delivered. So Gideon destroys the altars of Baal and Asherah and builds one for the Lord out of the wood from those idols. Folks, we need to start tearing the idols down. We need to start tearing the altars down spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. And see, Gideon did all he was asked to do. And when the end came and they wanted him to rule over them, he didn't want to be elevated to rule over Israel. Judges 8, starting verse 23, Gideon says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. If he had stopped right there, it would have been all good. But Gideon is still a man, and he makes a mistake. Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had the golden earrings because of the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites. And so they will gladly give them to you. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earring from his plunder. And now the weight of the gold earnings that he had requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, the pendants, the purple robes from the kings of Midian, and the chains that were around the camel's neck. So Gideon takes the gold, makes it into an ephod, and he sets it up in his city. And then once it got there, Israel played the harlot with it and became a snare to Gideon and his house. Remember what I said? Callings can be compromised, even short-circuited. So it was, as Gideon was dead, Judges 8.33, the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. Don't be surprised if you are mistreated for the calling, for the sake of God. Don't expect people to like you. Your reward is in heaven. We see in Isaiah 45, verse 3, that the Lord called Cyrus by name. He was handpicked to fulfill a specific role in the salvation of God's people. Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 7. What I'm showing you here is examples of people that were called from saints to sinners. Cyrus is not one of us. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break into pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, for my servant's sake, and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name, and I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, through you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Cyrus did not know the Lord God, yet he called him and used him. The assignment 
The calling is what is important, not the person. We need to stop elevating people simply because God has called them and used them. Let me say that again. Cyrus did not know the Lord, yet he was used. It's the assignment. It's the calling that is important. Some callings are costly. Cost cost the Lord his life. And what if what if what if Yeshua didn't answer the call to do his father's will? Nope, I don't want to suffer like that. Nope, I'm out of here. Not his will, but the Father's be done. When Samson completed his calling to destroy the Philistines, his life ended due to a compromised calling. Calling was finished, and unfortunately, so was he. But that seems to be the way. Once you're done, you're done. You don't get to milk it. You don't get to have a crusade and a parade and build things. Once your calling's done, it's finished. All the disciples, except for John, lost their lives fulfilling the calling. I'm not saying this to scare you or to depress you, but I want you to understand how important it is, and it's dangerous. But we, as believers, are urged to live lives that are worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4.1, I, Paul says, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Every day I understand who I am in the kingdom, who I am to him and what I'm called to do, and it is important to me. I know it's important to him. And I do my best to live a life worthy of the calling. I I trip up, I fall, I make mistakes. That's what grace is for. I repent. Second Peter one ten. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Ties into what I just said. There are decisions I could have made that I didn't because it would have compromised my witness. Finally, the called and the chosen and faithful will eventually be with the Lamb. Revelation 17, starting with verse 12. And then the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. But they give they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. See, this ties into what I said. Remember, I read you the scripture from Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We get glorified at the end. We don't get glorified now. I, I have a problem with that. You know that if you listen to me. It's one of my pet peeves. The only person that deserves glory is the Lord. The only one that deserves praise is the Lord. The only name that means anything is the Lord's. No man, no woman, no ministry, no place, no person deserves the glory that they're taking. How dare they share in the glory of the Lord? He'll share his glory with no one, which gets us back to that word I gave. It's time for judgment. To begin at the house of the Lord, because what's coming is too important. Therefore, every compromised servant is going to be put out of business. 
Some may get taken home. But he's not going to tolerate this anymore. And speaking about the beast and the kings and all those people, whatever power they amass, whatever power they get, the beast and the ten kings, they have no hope of winning. They're delusional. There's no way they can win because Yeshua is king of kings and lord of all lords. doesn't matter who they are, Baal Barith, Dagon, Hasatan himself. It doesn't matter. See, one day, what Paul talks about in Romans, I mean, Revelation 19, what Paul talks about here, not only will we see it, will we see it, they will see it. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not the first time John said this. He said it back in Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. The enemy can't win this fight. They think they can, but they can't. They're delusional. They're deceived. They're pathological. They're every logic. They're every mental illness you can possibly think of. But when he splits that sky and he's sitting on that horse, it's over. That's what makes our calling so important. Those of us, those that are with him, called and chosen, who remain faithful to him, will stand with him as victors. That's where I want to be. I want to be a victor. I don't want to be a victim. The people on the earth are going to be victimized. See, the enemy has a call. They have a plan. They call people. They dispense power and their dark anointing to people. It's important that we answer his call to counter that. I told you about a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may already know who he is, but if you don't, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born on February 4, 1906, in Breslau, Germany. When he was 17, he went to university to study theology. He immersed himself in his studies. Politics did not interest him, but as a good Lutheran, at that time he believed it was his duty to support the state. Boy, I hope people are listening. But step by step in obedience to Messiah, he was led to resist the growing evil of Nazism until he was thrown into prison and killed only three weeks before Hitler himself, I'll say, supposedly committed suicide. See, uh, January of 
1933, Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. And that spring, the first anti-Jewish laws were announced. Anti-Semitism was written in the law. So Bonhoeffer was preaching to a group of Lutheran pastors at a church, and he said that they must oppose the state when it made wrong judgments. He said if a car were driven by a mad driver and were out of control, it's not enough to bind up the wounds of the injured people. A spoke must be put into the wheels, meaning we must stop the car before it hurts anyone. Unfortunately, many in his congregation walked out in disgust at his words. See, they were sold out to Germany, and they were sold out to Hitler. Bonhoeffer's anti-Nazi Jew views became well-known. He wrote articles condemning the government policies. In 1940, he was forbidden to preach or to publish. So he began to work as a German double agent. He traveled in Europe, mostly for the church, on ecumenical missions. Well, in reality, he was passing on secrets to the Allies, working with a group of conspirators to destroy Hitler. He was helping Jewish refugees escape from Germany. In the winter of 1942 and 43. Two assassination attempts failed. During this time, Bonhoeffer tried to enlist the help of the British government to remove Hitler. Well, that didn't work. Because in 1943, he was arrested and he spent 18 months in prison. That's where he wrote his letters and papers from prison. Then in July of 1944, another assassination attempt on Hitler was discovered and the conspirators were executed. Bonhoeffer wrote in August of that year, You must never doubt that I am traveling with gratitude and cheerfulness along the road where I am being led. My past life is brimful of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. In October of 1944, a file was discovered which revealed that Bonhoeffer had been working with the anti-Hitler conspirators for many years. So he was moved from the prison he was in to a Gestapo prison in Prince Albrecht Stasi. Here he was brutally tortured but remained unbroken, calm, cheerful, and trusting. Then, in February of 1945, he was transferred to Buchenwald, where he was kept in the cellar of a house outside the main concentration camp. A British officer in prison there wrote, Bonhoeffer was different, just quiet, calm, and normal, seemingly perfectly at his ease. His soul really shone in the dark desperation of our prison. He was all humility and sweetness. He was one of the very few men I've ever met to whom his God was real and close to him. On April 8th of 1945, the SS arrived. Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready and come with us, they said. So Bonhoeffer asked an Englishman, maybe the same guy, named Payne Best, to give a message to Bishop Bishop Bell of Chichester. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble talking. Tell him that for me this is the end, but it's also the beginning. The prison doctor witnessed Bonhoeffer's death the following day. This is what the doctor said. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently, 
to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Could God have stopped this? Could the Lord have stopped this from the throne room? Absolutely. He could have stalled it just a short while. The war would be over. See, Bonhoeffer had answered the call. His job was done. We don't know who else saw and felt the way these people did. We don't know what seeds that got planted that somebody else harvested. But see, he answered the call. He risked it all. He did what he did. Tremendous story. And there have been so many others that have done similar things. And as I read this today, I began to think, would I have that calmness? I believe I would. I believe the Spirit would take me over. But I don't know. We're all human. Let's live entirely submissive to the will of God. Whether it's the heroes of faith, whether it's Jonah, whether it's Bonhoeffer, whoever it is, let's live entirely submissive to the will of God for our lives. You may not be called to do something that dramatic or painful or deadly, but the call that you've given is so important. I thought about it today as I dwelled on this message. What if my brother-in-law, John, had not accepted the call to the job in Tallahassee, Florida, for Christian Heritage Church to work under Pastor Shelley? Then I would not have met Pastor Shelley, who was responsible for birthing me into the kingdom, standing in the gap for me, and becoming my mentor, teacher, and father, spiritual father. But John answered the call. So that when the time came that demon possessed me, walked out of my family and destroyed all that, my wife needed a place to go, she could drive to Tallahassee, Florida. See, God had set something in motion. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Called, chosen, and faithful. So I have two questions for you in closing. Are you with him? Meaning the Lord. Are you with him? And will you answer the call? If somehow you're listening to this and you're not saved, that's the first call that you need to answer and make him Lord of your life. But if he is Lord of your life, have you answered the call? Are you doing what he's asked you to do? You know, I sit here and Larry and I pray almost every day, waiting on the finances, which can only come from the Lord, waiting on the release, but it eats at me because I have a calling. And I want to go do it. I want to destroy the work of the enemy. I want to set the captives free. I want to lay hands on the sick so that they can recover and the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, and the dead can be raised. I want to go rescue the lamb that has wandered off and has been caught into the lion's mouth. I want to destroy the work of the enemy. Live out Luke 4.18. Build the kingdom. Make straight the highway. 
and shake this world one last time before the return of the king. Are you with him? Will you answer the call? Father, I'm asking you right now from the throne room to reach out and touch your sons and daughters. I know some of them have never heard your voice, have never felt your touch. I'm asking you to do that for them right now. Let them hear their father's voice. Lord, I'm asking you. You've already done so much. There's no no reason to ask you to do more. But we need some help. We need help in our bodies. We need help in our minds, our souls, our spirits. Would you touch us right now from the throne room? Would you reach out that hand and touch us? Holy Spirit, you're already inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead. Would you quicken our mortal body? Would you drive away everything that's not of God that distracts us so that we can take our thoughts captive to Messiah, our hearts would be healed, the rejection would be gone, that the relationship we so desperately desire to have, you, through your calling, Holy Spirit, can help us to do that. We are called, we are chosen, and we are faithful. And when the end comes, whether we die or whether we fly, we'll be with you. And we will enjoy together the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Yeshua's name, if you agree with me, pray amen. Say amen. And before I pray, before I close this out. And I know some of you are struggling with this teaching. Maybe you've had to listen to it more than once. Don't stress over this. Take it to the Spirit in prayer and ask Him to show you what He wants you to do. One step at a time. One day at a time. He will walk with you. He will teach you. He will remind you because he will fulfill his calling so that you can fulfill yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.